This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We're starting a series last week called Love Walked Among Us. Love Walked Among Us. If you notice the songs that Josh uh, chose today, Josh, thank you for leading worship this morning. What an incredible job. Uh, if you notice the songs Josh picked today, he texted me and said, hey, what are you preaching on and uh, uh, what kind of songs should I pick? And I gave like the preacher answer, pick songs about Jesus, right? Uh, this whole series is about Jesus, the person of Jesus. I think we have a lot of questions and primarily because we're trying to define love. We really believe if we could get a scholastic answer for the word love. If somebody could define love for me, I would know what love is. But the problem is because we don't have a clear definition of what love is, we all give love its own definition. You all have your own definition for love, what it feels like, what it looks like, how, how bad it hurts, why you've given up on love. Uh, love is the, the main theme of our songs, right? But we have no clue what it is. We're searching for it and we have no clue what it is because we're constantly trying to define it and find it in other places. But the reality of what we see in Christ is that love was embodied. And that you will not love, know love without knowing Jesus. Because God is love and God manifested his love towards us in bringing us Jesus. And because love can be such a hard to define thing, we must not go after its definition, but we must go after its person. You won't know love apart from Jesus. So you keep asking me, how do I love these people? You better walk it with love with Jesus. You see, as we walk in this series, here's our desire. It's very simple. I want you to grow in love for Jesus. As you begin to study who Jesus is, and you look at this as we walk through the person of Jesus study, and I want you to just kind of hear me and I say this. I'm not talking about your studying his teachings. I'm not talking about your studying his life. I want you to study in these texts his personhood. You see, the more we get to know somebody, the more we begin to know not just what they say and how they live, but their facial expressions, their mannerisms, their rhythms of life. Can we say that about the person of Jesus? Do we know his expressions, his mannerisms, his rhythms of life? Because if we begin to look at scripture to know him, I believe that what we're going to begin to see is that as we grow in love and affection for Christ and slow down to see the person of Jesus, not only will we grow in love for him, but we will actually learn to love like him. Because we can only learn what love is because it's been so poured out upon us by him. That's a good place to say amen. You don't have to. I'll say it. Amen, preacher. Get that. I will. Thank you. Y'all ain't helping me today, so I'll, I'll do it myself. 
Before I jump into this text, I hope you're at John chapter 9. I'm going to walk through this slowly, but I, we have the gift of having some incredible people in our church. Last week, I walked out of the sanctuary, and I saw my friend Matthew. He's sitting here. Um, if you don't know him, that's your loss, right? <laughs> and Matthew Bolus uh, is a part of the blind community, and he came up to me, and he said, Hey, Pastor Wayne uh, sent out a list of texts that you guys would be preaching. And he said, I heard next week you're preaching my least favorite text in the whole Bible. <laughs> and I said, let's talk about that. So we walked over to the bench, and I said, can you tell me what that means? He said, well, Brittany McFadden, Brittany's here. She's going to help us post an article that she's been writing uh, with Matthew asking this question around John. We need to get that on social media, so I needed to talk to you. So let's, let's make that happen. Um, Matthew wrote an article around this idea of how the blind community has been abused by scriptures like this. And I will say, as we read through this text, there has been a continued theme that we need to see is that we take scriptures and we begin to do what what Matthew and many in the blind community have been uh, resonating with. And if you read his article, and I hope you spend time to do it, it's incredible insight. And Matthew, thank you for sharing your heart and even teaching this preacher some things. You're a gift. I want you to see as we start John chapter 9, and I'm going to start highlighting things on the screen, but I hope that as you read with me, uh, you'll start to see these things because I'm going to have to walk through this text. We're not going to stand together, but I want you to look. Verse 1 says this, as he went along, he, meaning Jesus, saw a man who was blind from birth. And here... They see a man who is blind from birth, and I want you to notice who asks this. This is his disciples who are about to ask a question. And I want you to notice the question that they ask. They say, teacher, who sinned? Now, here's what I, I want you to do for a moment. Before we kind of plow through this text, I want you to see that the main thread of all of John chapter 9 is revolving around people trying to figure out who's the sinner. And before we get, um, before we get, um, wrapped up in how crazy this text is, I want you to refuse to get caught up in this reality because I'm going to tell you, it's not just these people in this text who are consumed with who sinned. You are. I am. We want to know who is wrong? This man or his parents? Because this would never happen if somebody hadn't sinned. So Jesus says neither. This man nor his parents sinned. Now I want you to, to see how this is tying together. 
But Jesus says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he begins to say, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, and when no one can work while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He makes it very clear. This is not about what you're asking. You're asking about who sinned, and I want to show you what true light is. Then right after saying this, I want you to just pause with me for a minute and just see the beauty of how Jesus enters into healing this man. After saying this, he spits on the ground. He reaches down into the mud and he makes with his mud and saliva. With, this, with dirt and saliva, he makes this mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And, and I want you, if you can, to go later and just kind of meditate on the beauty of the same God who reached in the dirt to create humanity is the same God that is reaching into the dirt and creating the mud to heal this man. It's supposed to make you think of the one who created all things can recreate all things. The kingdom is breaking in. And then he says, go and, and, and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I want you to see that the man was not healed from his blindness at the moment, he went away and washed himself in the pool and then had sight. He has never seen Jesus with his own eyes yet. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's only heard him. Now, many of us will stop right there and kind of build a sermon around it, but that's not the, the point of the text to, uh, uh, to what Matthew is, is saying and, and, and what I want us to hear today. That's not the point of the text because what we want to do is go, man, that's so cool how he heals. But the point of this text is this question that they begin to dive into, who sinned? Which is rooted in fall. We are obsessed with knowing good and evil. Because of our sin, we actually think we do. We have put ourselves in seats of judgment and thinking that we can rightly judge between good and evil. And what judgment does, and if you're, uh, if you're following along in that book or any of the, the charts and in, in, in what uh, Paul Miller has right, he, he, he talks about what judgment looks like. And I, I wanted to go over this chart before we kind of dive into the next section because I'm going to be running through it fast, but I want you to be looking for these things. Here's what judgment does. Judgment, anal it goes into analysis from a distance. Here's what I mean. You don't try to understand because you think you already do. You know their life. 
You know how they should respond. You know what they should do. You know that they should have this. You know because you judge from afar because you think you understand. So judgment is all about analyzing and fact-finding. Now, church, before you get too uh, hypocritical and start looking at the speck in others' eyes, we better start looking at our own log. Because I'm going to tell you this, we are convinced that what is the most important thing is that we find out the facts before we make our judgments. How many of us have heard about heartbreaking news and we hear people having compassion and all we can do is, hold on a minute, let the facts come out before we do anything. Let the facts come out because when the facts come out, we're going to know who sinned. And we sit there in our seats of judgment at a distance and we analyze. What ends up happening at that point, we come up with advice. I like that Paul Miller calls advice help without compassion. You don't feel anything for them. All you want to do is fix it. Because you understand everything. You think if people would just follow your Facebook post, the world would be fixed. I'm going to solve the world's problems in a post on Facebook. From a distance. Help without compassion, advice. And what that leads is to people who are filled with confusion, anger, and shame. And I want you to notice this in the text because you're going to see confusion. Because you're from afar, you're going to actually end up hurting people because there's going to be a lot of confusion. You're going to see that no confusion is, I mean, no, there's going to be no clarity, just confusion. And then what happens is you're get, people are going to get really angry because from afar, you can put your people you aren't close to to in perfect little boxes and people get angry when they get put in boxes as they should because there's no box that can rightfully define and what's going to happen is they're going to start to question and it's going to lead to shame because they're going to wonder if what you are saying is actually true they're going to struggle with shame and that shame is going to lead to separation now i'm going to i want you to know this i wish i wish i could preach this text but i am not i am going to practice restraint will you at least give me praise for my restraint today okay <laughs> There is so much to preach here, but I don't want to miss the point because this is not about this section. It's about Jesus. So I can't get caught up in this. I got to get to, I got to, get to the end here, okay? So just stay with me. Instead of this amazing healing taking place uh, and, and everybody going, wow, that is so cool. Look what happens. He comes back and his neighbors who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? 
Some claimed that he was. Some claimed he was, and others said, no, it only looks like him. (laughs) He's sitting right there. Why are you asking each other? Hey, isn't that the guy? Yeah. No, it's just a a lookalike. But he's right there, and he insists, I am him. Can you see the insanity of those who sit in seats of judgment? He's right there. You could ask him. But even when he says, I am the man, then they go, okay then, how were your eyes opened? And he replied, well, there was this man called Jesus, and he made mud, and he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's the man? I don't know, he said. I have no clue. Do you you notice that in this, nobody has rejoiced with someone who's rejoicing? They didn't weep with him when he was weeping. They're definitely not going to rejoice with him when he's rejoicing. You see, in judgment, you got to stay consistent. You got to show no compassion. When they're weeping, you got to be cold. When they're rejoicing, you got to be cold. It's all about the facts. So then they go, I know he's sitting right there, but let's take him to the Pharisees, the law people, the teachers of the law. So they take the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, and now the day in which Jesus had made the mud was on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus broke the law to heal somebody. Hmm. Can I just, can I just... Say that statement again. How many of us are concerned about people who are breaking laws to get some sort of freedom or comfort? And all we can worry about is they broke a law. We're obsessed with who's right and wrong. With zero compassion. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, how did you receive the sight? Notice he gave a longer answer first, and you can already start to see the fatigue. He goes, he put mud on my eyes, he washed it, now I see. And then the Pharisee said, this man's not from God, for he did not keep the Sabbath. But the others asked, who How can a sinner perform such a miracle? Remember, here it is. Who's the sinner? Who's the sinner? They're saying, Jesus is the sinner. And then others in their own camp are going, hold on a minute. (laughs) Uh, This is inconsistent with our own teachings. 
How can a sinner perform such a miracle? So they were divided. Sound like anybody? No? Okay, maybe not. Maybe just to me. I'm drawing lines that are not there. I don't know. So then finally they're talking to each other, arguing with each other, and they go, okay, blind guy, what do you say about him if your eyes were opened? And he answers. First he said, I don't know. Then he says, well, he's a prophet. Okay, now they still don't believe him. So then they go, can we talk to your parents? Because they think that the miracle is fake and he's making it up. So then they go to the parents and they say, is this your son? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that you know now? I mean, how is it now that he can see? And they go, well, listen, here's a couple things we do know. Uh, You can already see they're operating out of fear and they're operating out of a place of insecurity and shame. They don't want to give any sort of answers that are going to put them on the seats of judgment. Even though it's their son, they say, here's what I do know. We know he's our son. We know he was blind. I have no clue how his eyes were opened. He's grown. You talk to him. Because they were afraid. Many people are afraid to speak anything just just because they know that they're speaking to people who are filled with judgment. Because this, the Jewish leaders had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They had already decided, so that question was a test. If someone says that Jesus is the Messiah, they are being kicked out. So they said, ask him. So now they bring the guy back a second time. Can you sense the confusion, or are you clear on all this? Are you finding the facts? Are you getting your you know, ducks in a row? Are you good here? Can you sense the anger between even those who are supposed to be united? Can you, sense the, can you sense the shame? Can you sense the people who already have caused and cast judgment? They're just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing? So the second time they bring the blind guy and they said, swear, give glory to God and you better be telling the truth. You better put your hand on the Bible. You better swear on your mother that you're telling the You better give glory to God and tell the truth. Shame the devil. And then they, they cast judgment. We know this man is a sinner. So who's the sinner? Jesus is the sinner now. So I'm going to tell you what we already know. We know Jesus is a sinner, and now you can see this man start lashing back. Now, we love, when when you're in positions of power, you love just grilling those who are already in the minority or the outside or in the place. You love grilling them until they crack, and then you're like, see? Because that's what happens here. 
He replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's one thing I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. Exclamation point. Listen, you can figure out who's a sinner and who's a not. I don't even know. I haven't even seen the guy with my own eyes. And they asked him, what did he do to open your eyes? How did he open your eyes? They already asked him this stuff. And he goes, I've already told you. And you don't listen. Why do you want to hear me say it again? I love this question. Do you want to be his disciples? Are you trying to follow him or something? You're obsessed with this guy. He healed me. I don't even know him. I want you to notice this because just because he was healed doesn't mean he knows Jesus. Then they hurled insults at him. <laughs> You're the follower of Jesus. We're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this follow, you don't even know where he comes from. And then the man answered him, now this is remarkable. <laughs> Trying to honor the exclamation points here. You know I like screaming, but when an exclamation point is there, just want to give it its emphasis. You know what I mean? You don't know where he's come from, yet he opened my eyes. When we know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to godly persons who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of an opening of the eyes of a blind man born blind. If, it, if, if, this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin from birth. Now who's the sinner? You're the sinner now. How dare you try to lecture us? They weren't there to hear from him. All the questions were to judge him. And they threw him out. They threw him out. There's a lot there I think you should meditate on this week. Because there's a sense in us, church, where I've seen a church in these times where there is heaped in confusion and shame and anger and judgment and fighting and infighting and outfighting and all types of fighting over who's right and who's wrong. We have separation upon separation and we have judgment upon judgment and we're all trying to find facts and ask questions but we're heaped in more confusion and anger and shame than ever. And to point out there and say it's their problem is a huge issue. The reason why we need to take a minute and see what compassion is, is because you won't see compassion until you see Jesus. Because what I don't want you to do is put yourself in the seat of Jesus. What I want you to do in this place is put yourself in the seat of 
the ones who are casting judgment, the one who is receiving shame and anger and turmoil and, and trying to be put in the seat where you're always the hero kind of sets you in a bad spot. But Jesus does something different that you're going to see. You're going to see that he sees and understands, which compassion leads, seeing and hearing leads to understanding and true help, which leads to joy and intimacy. Look at how Jesus does it. Let's pause a minute. Let's, let's, let's go to the real point here. This goes back to verse 1. And as he went along, the first line is he saw. He saw the man. He saw the man that was blind from birth. I'm going to tell you this. That man had been there all along, but nobody saw him. And even after he was healed, nobody saw him. They didn't even ask him. They just argued amongst each other while he's standing there. And then every time they're asking him, they're trying to demonize him. At the end, they've already cast judgment, but then they call him the sinner and cast him out. Nobody saw him. Compassion starts with seeing. While everybody is obsessed with who sinned, he sees him. Then after he sees him, he goes on, and, and I wish we could spend time just looking at how he spit on the ground. And I, I encourage you to meditate on that. And he, he forms dirt and he heals them. It, it's this recreation activity all for one purpose, not to give glory to this guy or not to condemn this guy, but he reveals, this is why I'm going to do this because I want to display my work and I want to show you what true light is. I'm the light. Now, after he gets kicked out in verse 35, I want you to see what else happens. Jesus heard. Everybody's talking, but only Jesus is listening. You notice that? We are so quick to speak and so slow to listen. If you want to have a place where you have the heart of Jesus, which is a heart of compassion, we've got to be quick to listen and hear. Because you will never have compassion if you start with analysis rather than seeing and listening. I try to understand because even though your problem seems obvious, I remember I haven't been in your shoes. Jesus shows us what it actually looks like to put on flesh and dwell among. Jesus put on our shoes. <laughs> he doesn't stay from a distance and judge us. from. He comes into the world and puts on flesh that he fully sympathizes with us and knows our brokenness and weakness. He has put on our shoes. You will never have compassion until you have stepped into, and you will never be able to step into by just going through the experiences. You've got to see and you've got to listen. You talk too much. Oh, boy, you never shut Oh, that's an old reference. Sorry, if you haven't heard that song, that's my bad. The next thing he does, 
is he goes to the man and he asks the right question. Do you believe in the son of man? Can I... Uh, The whole time we're whining who's right and wrong. Who's in sin. And he asks, do you believe in a Messiah? A Savior? We're trying to figure out who's sinned, not who's the Savior. And he says, who is he, sir? If you tell me, I'm going to believe. So what did it come to? It came to him seeing and hearing, and then he was going to believe. And then Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. I'm going to show you, while everybody's arguing over a man who has been healed from physical blindness, he still didn't see Jesus. Until this moment. Because like, like my brother Matthew said to me last week, it's actually less about the physical healing of blindness and more about those who think they see are actually blind. Because what Jesus says is even though I opened your eyes, you still haven't seen me. And for the first time, this man experiences true sight, which is better than the sight of his eyes being opened. He saw Jesus, and this is how you know he saw him, because the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And this is the response of anybody who has seen Jesus. They can't move to places of judgment. Every time they said, who do you think he says? I think he's a prophet. Who do you think he is? I don't know. Who do you think he is? I don't know. It seems like you want to know, though. And finally, in the midst of all this confusion and chaos, joy hits. And in the midst of all this pain and shame and agony, there's one person who is seeing and worshiping and trusting. Now, I'm going to tell you this. In the midst of all this judgment and chaos, and the problem of the church is not that we're not saying the right things. Nobody's worshiping Jesus. We're obsessed with who's right and wrong. Who's worshiping Jesus? Because when he shows you who he is, not who's right and wrong, when he shows you who he is, you say, I'm the one with the biggest log in my eye. I'm the one who's the first among sinners. I'm the one who is in need of this Savior, this grace. It's not about who sinned. It's about a Savior who has revealed himself to me. And now I believe and I am worshiping. There's only one person in all of John 9 that breaks into worship. Church, I'm going to tell you this. There's a deficit of worship and trust. 
and our desperate need to be right and know who's right and wrong and, and who's sin and our fact-finding and our judgment is going to come back on us. Judge not lest you be judged. Because in the midst of this man worshiping, Jesus says this, I came for judgment. In the midst of all this crazy judgment, he shows what real judgment is. I've come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who think they see become blind. He didn't just come to heal the blind. He come to show who's really blind. So for all of those who use this text to abuse the blind community, you're actually falling into the same trap of everybody else in this text who is trying to figure out who's right and wrong and not seeing you're blind. You see, some Pharisees who heard all this and saw this, here's what they asked. What? Are you saying we're blind? And Jesus responds while this man's worshiping. If you were blind, it'd be better for you. But now that you claim to see, this condemnation and guilt and judgment is on you. Church compassion is seen in Jesus as he saw and heard and declared his purpose. And Josh, as you come to help me close this time, I want you to hear these things. Jesus saw, he heard, he declared his purpose, that this was about what he was going to do by revealing his glory and what true light was. He healed, he pursued. Notice that even after the man had been kicked out and Jesus heard that he was kicked out, Jesus didn't wait for the man to come to him. He went and found the man. He revealed himself to the man and then took on the man's judgment. Do you think the man was not deserving a judgment? Because I'm going to tell you this. That man had sinned, just like all of us have sinned. But by the end, the Pharisees were not judging the blind man. They were judging Jesus, which shows that Jesus takes on the judgment we deserve. He puts himself in the position of taking on our judgment that we so rightly deserve so that we could be restored to true sight. True sight is when you see Jesus. When he's revealed himself to you. And when he has, you're like, how do I know if he has? Because when he has, there's only one response. Belief and worship. You notice that in the midst of all of it, there's only one person worshiping. I, I, I just think that our worship is so shallow because we can only worship if everybody else is worshiping, which begs the question, are you really worshiping? Because when it comes to 
total surrender and worship and trust, when he reveals who he is, it doesn't matter who's judging. <gasps> Do you notice at that moment, it doesn't matter who's judging him. What matters is him giving worship and affection to the one who's truly deserving of it. Because for the first time, I, 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 hear this. For the first time, a man who was healed from blindness can say, I've actually seen now. Before, I was blind, and then I said, I see. But I actually was wrong. Now I see. Now I see. You see, church, when he reveals himself, when he opens the eyes of our heart, what it leads to is trust and worship and deep affection versus pride and judgment. Pride separates us. Judgment comes back on us, as you see. If we judge, that same level of judgment is coming back on us. That same judgment in which we've given is what comes back onto us. That reality of where you see those who were in pride at the end receiving the judgment they so deserve. shows us that even in that place, the way Jesus brings judgment is in love. Not from a distance. Not in shame and condemnation. But in love. He rejects the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Church, as we stand in a time where all around us is judgment, uh, can I just say that our continued remarks and our continued casting of judgment and our continued joining into the rhetoric is not bringing the clarity you think it is. It's actually more revealing of our own blindness. Because church, as you try to help people and the whole time you wonder, why is it when I try to help people, I, they end up farther away from me? Maybe it's because they feel judged around you rather than helped. They feel like you don't understand and you just heap shame on. Maybe it's not, maybe because all of the Oh, the broken relationships that you have around you show more of your blindness than it does of their brokenness. Maybe your constant attempt to always have advice and fix people's problems. It's not as cool and as profound as you think it is. But can I tell you this? You won't know to do anything else unless you see the compassion of Jesus. And you become so overwhelmed by how much grace and love he has for you. It can't help but shape the way you treat others. And that only comes through worship.
And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm saying a whole life. But I'm also not talking about less than singing. Our whole life of worship before the Lord. So we, I asked Josh to help me with something. I, I want us to sing this song, Open the Eyes of My Heart as a Prayer, because it's a cry to say, I've, I've been blind to some things. And I need to be my eyes opened. And we're crying out of saying, God, would you just show me? I need you to open my eyes. And I would ask that you go into a place of not who's right and wrong and judgment, but maybe you would slip into a moment of worshiping the one who's worthy of it and the only one that can open your eyes. And let this be a time where Jesus comes to you and shows you a grace and compassion far beyond that you've ever deserved. And then after we sing this song, we're going to open the tables for communion and fellowship, and Josh is going to begin to sing the song. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.